And with that, we are so excited to hear from our guest speaker today, Craig Hazen. Craig is the founder and director of the apologetics program at Biola University. He's traveled all around the world lecturing about apologetics and has written a number of articles and books. And we are so privileged to get to hear from him today. So as we invite him up, I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to get into the word. Jesus, we hand this morning over to you. In the hearts in this room, God, I, I give you permission to do your work as if you need my permission. But God, there's something that happens in our hearts when we invite you to do your work. So we ask that you would. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for the difference that he makes, for the salvation he brings, but also that he continues to transform our hearts and our minds and our lives. And we dedicate this service to you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Give a hand for Craig Hazen. Good morning. Thanks for having me here. This is fun. This is such a Biola-friendly church, too. You know, recognize so many faces out there. Wow. Well, let me get a good look at you first. Might change the message, you know. Hey, you look all right. It's a, very, it's a very beautiful church. I don't mean the facility. You are a wonderful-looking bunch of people. Good to be here with you. Um, oh, uh, just a quick commercial first. I, I brought some resources out there. My message this morning will be coming from a, a, a book I wrote called Five Sacred Crossings. If you're thinking, oh, no, an academic is showing us a book, it's going to be one of those things with, you know, 99-cent words and stuff. This is a novel. It's a, it's a fast-paced mystery story, uh, kind of like the Da Vinci Code, except with a bunch of true stuff about Christianity <laughs> put into the middle of it. So check that out. This, actually, all the points I'll be covering uh, this morning will be, is in this book. And another book, if I stimulate some interest in some topics like Buddhism or Hinduism or Islam or Mormonism, it's a wonderful little book I helped uh, put together called World Religions and Cults 101. It's out on the table. Oh, I've got to highlight one other thing because this happened at Biola. This comes from my department in apologetics at Biola. It's a debate we put on, on does God exist? And it was between William Lane Craig, one of our professors, who's probably the finest Christian debater on the planet, you know, and he went up against Christopher Hitchens, who was a, you know, top-level atheist, probably the most feared atheist because he was so smart and clever. I'll bet you a number of you were in attendance at this debate a few years ago. But let me, let me just tell you what the atheist blogs said after the debate. They said, oh my goodness, Christopher Hitchens, and they had great hopes in him. Christopher Hitchens was spanked like an errant schoolchild, you know. So I carry a box of these around in my trunk, you know, to hand to my atheist friends or enemies, you know, and uh, it's great fun. So check those things out. Uh, I can't tell you what it's, how great it is to be uh, in a group that looks friendly. And you know, I go to a lot of unfriendly places, a lot of secular university campuses, and it gets kind of dicey there. I mean, I've been, I've been, I've had to have escorts, you know, of campus safety off of the campus before, just by giving gentle uh, presentations of the gospel. It's pretty crazy out there, so it's nice to be among friends. Oh, but I got to tell you the one story about uh, Olympia, Washington. So if you ask people what's the most unchurched state in the country, most people who know what they're talking about will say that would be Washington State up in the Pacific Northwest. And if you go into Washington and ask people what's the most unchurched city in the state of Washington, they almost immediately say, oh, of course, that would be Olympia. That's the state capital. Now, if you go to a secular university campus in Olympia, Washington, presumably you have hit spiritual rock bottom in America, you know. 
So imagine my surprise when I get a call from a campus in Olympia at my Biola office inviting me up to give some sort of uh, lecture on the campus. And it's going to be sponsored by a Christian club. I'm thinking, how could they possibly support a Christian club at this radical campus, you know? Uh, turns out it wasn't much of a club. It was two guys, you know? <laughs> and they had discovered that if they start a club, they get access to associated students' money. So they're walking around with fistfuls of cash. You know, they were business majors. They knew how to find money. And, so, and they're thinking, what should we do with this money we have? And uh, they go, let's, let's invite up some Christian thinkers and writers that we'd like to have lunch with. And so... Uh, a colleague or two of mine had done this and they actually, you know, said, eh, there's like four or five people there. It was, you know, but I don't know where they're getting all this dough, but it was great. So they invite me up for this lecture and I thought it was going to be just a nice colloquy with, you know, three, four, five, ten people. I didn't know. Sandwiches, you know, with desks put in a circle, something like that. So they pick me up at the airport in uh, Seattle and they rush me down I-5 to Olympia. Uh, were, we're a little late because this is a lunchtime event. And so they whip into the college parking lot and rush me into a building. I'm walking into the building and something on the wall catches my eye. It's, it's, it's my face, like yay big, you know. As if that's not disturbing enough. There, there are flames under my face. And the, and the title of the event is Come Barbecue the Christian." So it turns out these guys were marketing majors in the business school, and they thought this would be a great way to turn out a crowd. But there was a whole barbecue theme. Uh, the moment I saw the poster, a guy walks by with a wheelbarrow full of barbecued chicken wings. And the, the smell was just filling the building and drawing students and faculty from all over, you know. So I walk around the corner thinking I'm going to see 10 chairs, and it's a lecture hall just jammed with people, standing room only, waiting for this thing to start. People, undergrads, grad students, people in white lab coats, janitors, people's moms. I don't know where they found out about this, but I guess this must be a great lunchtime adventure. I mean, think about it. Uh, uh, you, you get to watch a Christian be dismembered, and then you get to celebrate by eating wings, you know. So I'm trying to take all this in, you know, and... Uh, so my organizers, they didn't bother to tell me all that was really going on. So I had to learn it with the rest of the crowd. They gave some instructions to the crowd. All right, here's how it's going to work. Uh, you folks ask questions for an hour, and then you get wings. So it wasn't very complicated. <laughs> they, they hadn't thought it through very much. But they introduced me, and, and I gave a quick five-minute opening talk. And then I said, all right, let's, let's hear your questions. Now, the, que the questions have changed over time. I've been doing this a long time. The questions have changed. They've gotten stupider. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you would think that the agnostics and atheists and skeptics and folks would, would have really honed their game. I mean, the whole atheist club was in attendance. They were sitting in the front row with T-shirts on, so I knew where the atheist club was, you know. And... And really, it was as if everybody in that room had learned all of their theological knowledge by watching the, or by reading the Da Vinci Code, for goodness sakes. You know, it was really kind of pathetic. I had to help them ask better questions. Like, you know, sir, that would, that would be a little bit more troubling for me if you were to formulate it this way, you know, and then I'd hand it back to them. Then they'd ask me that question, and I'd go, oh, that's a hard one. <laughs> you know? Even more strange than all this is about, I don't know, halfway or three-quarters of the way through it, the questions just dried up, just stopped. You know? 
course, they had to ask questions to get the wings, so I'm not letting them off the hook, you know. And now, I mean, what's disturbing about that is this is a college campus, for goodness sake. You've got young people exploring all kinds of important things like art history and sociology and organic chemistry. Uh, You name it, they're studying it, and they're, they're supposed to be asking the big questions about who I am and who is God and do I have a soul and where was I and where I'm going, uh, the whole thing. And, and here's a forum designed specifically for that and the questions dry up, something's wrong with that. So I'm not letting them off the hook, you know. And so they're kind of, we're having a stare down and I saw a guy out in the audience, he's nudging his neighbor and I could see him mouthing some words like, ask the question. And the guy's like, okay, okay. So... The guy begins to raise his hand. Of course, I'm scanning for motion. And the guy moves his hand. I go, yes, sir. And he goes, whoa. You know, um, uh, yeah, so, so like, um, um, do, do you believe in baptism? Strange question. So I said, sir, not only do I believe in it, I've seen it done. There was, there was this pause, this beat, like, then, then the whole place just erupted in laughter, you know? And, and I mean, and, and you could actually see the shields coming down in the crowd, because up to that point, it was simply a game of gotcha, you know? How can we ask a question to tie the Christian guy into a pretzel or, you know, lop off his leg or arm or something, you know? Uh, so it was just very adversarial, not particularly productive. So once they started laughing, it was very helpful because they felt a little more free just to ask the questions that were actually on their mind. Things like, so you're really an academic and a Christian? You know, how does that work? And did you grow up in a Christian family? Is your family now Christian? I mean, were, were you dropped on your head as a child? What, how, help us understand this thing you're involved in. Oh, it was just so bizarre. Oh, you know, I wish we had more time along those lines because I think we were having some uh, productive time, but uh, the time ended and the organizers dutifully released them to the wings, you know. Oh, you should have seen these students then. Some of them were very, you know, holier than thou and sanctimonious, you know, during the Q&A time. But when it came to getting to the wings, there was a person in a walker moving along. Man, hey, shove that person aside and <laughs> rush to, to get their wings first. Oh, and clearly there were a lot of architecture majors or structural engineering majors in the group. Here's how I know that. They gave them little plates, right? But they were able to build towers of wings. You know, with flying buttresses and drawbridges, you know. It was astonishing. Uh, So... I remember it ended, people were building their, you know, wing castles on their little plates. And I'm talking to somebody over here. They, they wanted to have a quick personal chat, so I'm leaning over talking to somebody. And I, I see somebody coming around the bend. I've learned to use my peripheral vision on secular university campuses. You've got you to gotta know what's coming at you. So I'm talking over here, and somebody's coming around the bend. It's a woman, and she's got a big plate of wings, and she's eating one, and she's coming at me, you know. And she, she leans over me like this. and goes... Hey! Hey! And I look up, and she's got a little schmutz on her face from the wings she's been eating. And I look up, and she's like right there, you know. I'm like, Whoa, uh, yes, ma'am, uh, what can I do for you? She goes, Well, here's my thing. Here's my thing that there aren't enough women in the Bible. 
I thought for sure she was like a plant from the drama department, you know, uh, sent over to just, you know, uh, toy with me. And so I've just kind of messing with her back. I'm like, oh, I totally know what you mean. She's like, yeah. I go, yeah. Like, uh, like, like the three wise men. Should have been the three wise women. She's like, yeah. I go, that makes so much more sense because if it were three wise women, uh, uh, they would have arrived on time. <laughs> oh, they'd love that up here. Uh, and they, they would have helped clean the stable and deliver the baby, you know. And they would have brought practical gifts, like, like, like a baby blanket and a casserole, you know, forget to say. And the lady goes, yeah, you know, you get it, you get it. And she walks off. So here's the conclusion of crazy instances like that. And I got, all, I got dozens of them. What in the world are we afraid of? What in the world are we afraid of? And, and my colleagues and I in the apologetics department at Biola, we travel constantly. I mean, we just all got back from Nebraska. We're moving constantly into very uh, strange places, but we, we're always visiting evangelical churches along the way. And we discovered a palpable fear. They're, Christians are gripped with fear. They're afraid to share their faith and they're afraid to live big for Jesus because they're really kind of terrified that somebody's going to ask them some really hard questions that they don't know the answers to. And that ought not to be the case. It's, it's really not that hard. And I'm, I'm glad you're having me here this morning. I'm going to try to give you an answer to at least one question that you can, you know, that'll help you along the way. And Sean McDowell, by the way, uh, our newest faculty member in the apologetics program at Biola, will be here next week. Uh, just consider me his warm-up act. He is aces, okay? I'm, I'm warming up the crowd for him. You'll enjoy Sean. But it ought not to be the case. You can do this. We can all do this. And you don't need to... I mean, I'd love for it if you did a master's degree in apologetics at Biola. That would certainly ramp things up. But you don't have to do that. You know? Uh, here's... In fact, when I, we have a wonderful certificate program at Biola. And here's how I pitch it. You know, I, when I'm in a big crowd at Biola, I say, if you do our certificate program in apologetics, you will rise to the top 5% of religiously literate people in the world. And people go, wow, that must be some certificate program you have there. I go, well, it's a wonderful certificate program. But the comment is not about the certificate program. The comment is about the incredibly low level of understanding out in the general public. You see, you think you don't know anything. Well, you start talking to them, you know. So if you read some good books, watch some good DVDs, up your game even just a little bit in terms of uh, giving reasons for your faith. Watch what happens. The Lord will even put you into some wonderful situations where people will see Christ for the first time. It's just a, it's a great calling, and it's much needed today because our opponents, atheists, agnostics, skeptics, pluralists, and so on, have gotten very aggressive, and not just on the Internet. They've, they've encroached on church territory like never before, and people are pretty distressed about it. But have no fear. We, we have the answers, and we've had them all along. We're, we're like Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz. You know, we, we've had the ruby slippers on all along. We, you know, we just need to click them together, you know, and, and see some action. Well, I'm going to address one question this morning in our short time together. Uh, the title of this is Finding the True God in a World of Religion. And the question is, how does Christianity stack up to the great world religious traditions? I did my doctoral work in religious studies at, at UC Santa Barbara 
You know, could, could you imagine me, a Bible-reading, Jesus-loving Christian, going into this, I mean, incredibly hostile graduate program? I had so much fun, you know. It, it really was a blast, you know. But I got a chance to study uh, under great thinkers in Islam and Buddhism and Hinduism and Mormonism and Native American traditions and you name it. Uh, I got to study it up close and personal. And along the way, I got a chance to compare my my Bible-believing Christian ways to all of these great religious traditions. And it was, a, it was an amazing experience. And, and I discovered something, that, that Christianity simply doesn't fit the category of religion whatsoever. It's, it's really a, an odd bird in the mix. And I think this came through very clearly, and I want to share that with you this morning. I mean, if there's a, if there's a box called religion, right, and you try to drop Christianity into it, doesn't go. I mean, you can, you can push on it a little bit, you know, saw some pieces off, push a little more. It, it doesn't go in, you know. It's, a, it's like a cat. You try to drop the cat in the box, and it's like, yeah, you know, it won't, won't go in the box. Christianity won't fit the box very well. And uh, there's a number of reasons for that. Now, I'm going to share one right off the bat. In fact, you have some notes in your worship folder that I think will be helpful, some little blank fill-ins that I think you can take with you, because this will be a helpful set of notes. Um, one thing that really sets Christianity apart, and something that intrigues me probably the most of the reasons I'm going to give you, is that Christianity is testable. It's testable. You can offer evidence for it, you can offer evidence against it, and the evidence actually means something. Right? Uh, in fact, let me, let me demonstrate this basic idea by reading to you what I would consider one of the strangest passages in all of religious literature. You're not going to find something like this in the Bhagavad Gita or the Buddhist Tripitaka or the Quran or the Book of Mormon. This comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting with verse 12. Uh, when I read it, just listen and see if you can figure out why I would call this one of the strangest passages in all of religious literature. Paul writes this about the resurrection. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. Really? He continues, More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, but he didn't raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, empty, worthless. You're still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men." Why would I call that one of the strangest passages in all of religious literature? Well, the Apostle Paul did the unthinkable. I mean, if you're going to be starting your own religion, don't do it this way, folks. What he did with Christianity was he, he hung it by a thread. The thread of the resurrection, he hangs it there. and almost invites people to come and try to snip it. And if you do snip it, the whole thing's going to come crashing down. That is religious craziness. But that truly makes Christianity testable. It invites people to come and examine its central claim that Jesus was alive at point A, dead at point B, and alive again at point C. Now, I wish I had time to, to give you a, a lecture on the 
resurrection, one of my favorite things to do because the evidence is overwhelming that that really happened. I think it's the best attested fact of the ancient world. But it makes Christianity testable. Now, the Apostle Paul didn't mind hanging Christianity by that thread because he knew that thread was made out of some super titanium alloy you know, that would break any pair of scissors that got near it. Paul had seen the risen Christ and he trusted that God would leave a tremendous trail of evidence down through history testifying to that great work he did on our behalf to give us eternal life. It's the real deal. And that's a significant thing that sets Christianity apart from the pack, that it's testable, truly testable. You can investigate it and you can make decisions about whether to be a follower of Jesus based on the evidence. That's a strange thing in the history of religions. I want to highlight a few other things that set Christianity apart from the pack. I, I'll do this by telling a, an extended story, true story. Happened, uh, I forget how many years ago now, at, at a local community college down by the beach. Uh, I get a call in my Biola office, and they're, they're, trying to find a, they're trying to find a fundamentalist, you know, because they want to bring a fundamentalist into class to interact with the students. So... It's so funny because I could just imagine them in this class saying, we need a fundamentalist. Where do you go for one of those, you know? I know, you know, call Biola, you know. So they call Biola, and I have no idea if this is is how it happened, but I'm imagining the uh, university operator picks up the phone. Hello, Biola University. Yes, yes, hello, I'm I'm looking for a fundamentalist. (laughs) One moment, please. (laughs) They they bring it to my office, you know. we, We have hundreds of faculty members, for goodness sakes, and I get the call. Anyway, when I, once I heard what they were doing in the class, it sounded like a lot of fun, and I decided to come. I said, I don't know about the whole fundamentalist thing, but I, I'd love to come talk to your class as a, you know, Bible-believing, Jesus-loving Christian. All right, good enough. Yeah. So it was towards the end of the term, and what they did is they bring in these guest speakers to interact with the students. Uh, so I get down there. It was an early morning class, like 8.30 in the morning. I, I thought for sure nobody would be there. These are college students, for goodness sake. <laughs> 8.30 in the morning, you know. But it turned out I wander into a pretty big lecture hall, and it's already filling up. There's students, and they're looking pretty bedraggled, honestly. They're shuffling in. Uh, but they are carrying giant cups of coffee. So I have hope for the near future, you know. Um, they're getting settled, and I meet the teaching assistant, and he tells me what's going on. And I said, hey, I'd like to meet the professor. Is he here? And he goes, um, yeah. I go, oh, well, where is he? He goes, he's uh, over there. I look down, and along the first row of chairs and tables at the far end, last chair, he's sitting there with his head down. And I'm going, oh, is he sick? And that guy goes, "Mm, no. And I I come to find out later that towards the end of the term, when this guy turns it over to guest speakers, he goes out and chases girls and uh, and drinks all night. So he he comes into class with a hangover, and he's just in terrible shape, you know. Uh, He just turns it over to the guest speakers. and uh, So once I saw that, I'm thinking, you know, I got free reign here, you know. Oh, as soon as I I heard all your teaching pastors are in Israel, I thought the same thing about this place, you know. Uh. (laughs) So uh, I'm looking at the guy down there. I'm going, you know, I'll just try this out. So I told the the group uh, of students that, hey, you know, I'd be happy to give you like a, a presentation on uh, like the, the fundamentalist movement in America, if you'd like. Um, but maybe you'd like to do something else. I was thinking on my way down here that wouldn't it be fun to take a group of students like you were taking this world religion survey class, and I know a lot of you are in here because you're, you're, you're kicking the tires of various religions. 
right? You're, you're seeing how Islam accelerates, you know, or how Buddhism handles in the corners, you know? You're checking these things out to see if you might want to sign up for one. But, but you're a thoughtful person. You're studying accounting and art history and organic chemistry and uh, all kinds of important subjects, and you're using your mind. How would a thoughtful person like you go about a religious quest? And you're like, oh, you just tell the Starbucks was kicking in at that point. They're like, oh, oh, what did he say? Let's do that thing instead. I go, all right, let's do that. Let's, uh, how would a thoughtful person go on a religious quest? Of course, now, I had no idea where I was going with this. I'm like, oh, God, help me out. So I'm like, all right, um, okay. Uh, clearly, if you're a thoughtful person on a religious quest, um, it seems to me, knowing something about religions, that, that, that you would obviously start that quest with Christianity. So because the, the, the looks on most of your faces were the looks that they had. Come on. Then there was this guy in the back of the room, right? Um, he, had a, uh, he had long, stringy, blonde hair. He was like a surfer guy. He had a skateboard with him. And, and it turns out this guy was way smarter than he looked. He had two guys next to him, and, and not so much. They weren't uh, any smarter than they looked. But, <laughs> but this guy was kind of a sleeper. You know, he, he was my foil for the whole morning. In fact, I liked this guy so much, I made him a, I made him a character in the book, Five Sacred Crossings. You know, he... he he makes an appearance. In fact, he's like the second main character. So I'm interacting with this guy, and he goes, Oh, dude, I thought you weren't going to give us a lecture on fundamentalism, but the first thing you say is my religion's best and you ought to follow it, you know? I go, No, that's not what I'm talking about. Look, let me, let me give you four reasons why a thoughtful person uh, on a religious quest would obviously start that quest with Christianity. Again, I had no idea if I had four reasons, you know? I know I had probably two, you know, but maybe four. So I go, the first reason that a thoughtful person on a religious quest would obviously start their quest with Christianity is that Christianity is testable. And I've already told you a little bit about that. I read them that passage in 1 Corinthians 15 and highlighted that. And they were intrigued. They were intrigued by that. Well, you know, that's the kind of religion I want, something I can sink my teeth into and really investigate to find out whether it's true or not. Not not just some religion, which seems to be most of them, where you simply go to the religious abyss, you close your eyes, and you blindly leap into it. What you're seeing about Christianity makes sense, and I'm intrigued by that, that you can investigate it and determine uh, whether it's true or not. You know, you can't really do that with Buddhism, for instance. So had them go in there, and they go, what else you got? Okay, all right, the, the second reason. The second reason a thoughtful person on a religious quest would obviously start that quest with Christianity is that in Christianity, salvation is a free gift from God. It's a free gift from God. There's, there's no crawling over jagged rocks for miles to lay some offering in some temple. There's, there's no sitting in arthritic lotus positions for, for hours on end in hope of moving inwardly toward enlightenment. None of that. It's God just giving you salvation. He, he can't wait to give it to you so that you can be reconciled with Him and live with Him for all eternity exactly as you were supposed to. It doesn't get much better than that. And these were college students, for goodness sakes. They understood the concept of free. All right? They're always looking for a free haircut and a free sandwich, so they understood the concept. Uh, and uh, I highlighted to them, in fact, I remember the skateboard guy asked a question. He goes, well, don't other religions do that too? I go, well, you can find a little bit of grace in, 
in a, a thin slice of Buddhism, and I described that, and over here in Hinduism, but it's nothing like what you find in Christianity. It's, it's, it's quite different. In fact, the parable of the prodigal son really highlights this well. You know, where you've got this Middle Eastern patriarch, you know, who has this family and his son comes to him and says, Dad, I want my stuff, you know. And his father hands over this man's inheritance. And this boy, he he walks off uh, and the text says that he just, you know, went through the money fast on squalid living until it was all gone and he was starving and he couldn't even get out the stuff the pigs were eating. And so he finally comes to his senses, says the text, and he takes that long walk back home, you know. And uh, his father sees a little dust cloud out on the horizon as he's standing on his porch. And he sees the son. Finally, he notices that it's his son. What does this father do? This Middle Eastern patriarch, this, this, this rich man who rules uh, many people in his operation. He sees his son out there. He leaps off the porch and he runs to him. And he throws a cloak on him, puts a ring on his finger, gives him new sandals, kisses him and says, kill the fatted calf. We were having a feast tonight. My son was lost and now he's found. I can tell you with some authority that you will not find a picture of grace like that in any religion on the planet today or through history. That is unique to Christianity. It is a free gift of God and that sets Christianity apart in dramatic fashion. The third reason I told that class, the third reason that a thoughtful person on a religious quest would start that quest with Christianity is that in Christianity, you get an amazing worldview fit. You get an amazing worldview fit. Christianity paints a picture of the world that matches the way the world really is. Christianity paints a picture of the world that matches the way the world really is. Now, a skateboard guy gave me a little trouble on that. He goes, dude, how, how are you going to demonstrate that? You're basically saying my religion matches up with everything. That's, you're going to have a hard time demonstrating that. That's a, that sounds like just bluster or just a big promise, you know. I said, well, that's a good point because there's a lot to that statement. But, but let me give you a prime example that I think will help illustrate it. Like, how does Christianity deal with the problem of evil, pain, and suffering? And how do the other religions deal with it? And he goes, all right, what do you got? I said, okay, um, in Eastern religious traditions, by and large, evil, pain, and suffering is dealt with this way. You call it maya or illusion, and you brush it off the table. You, you try your best to come to the deep uh, appreciation that evil, pain, and suffering are illusory. Right? That is supposed to take care of the problem. Is that taking care of the problem? Yeah, I don't think so. So I, I gave them an example. I say, uh, imagine the doors open in the back of the lecture hall and in walks an elderly woman. She's got a shock of gray hair and she's got a cane and, and she makes her way down the steps of the classroom and she sits here in front. And we don't get you know, classroom invasions by elderly women very often, but uh, so, so we stop for, stop for a moment and ask her, what is her story? She doesn't hesitate for a second. She stands up and faces the class and in a thick Polish accent begins to describe uh, what happened to her as a child in, uh, during World War II in Poland? Uh, a day when Nazi troops come in and start rounding up everybody in their village. Every person in her family, everybody in her extended village is gathered up and stuffed like animals into a boxcar. 
and taken off to camps of concentration. They open the doors and people have died en route. They're falling out and they start to separate people out. This little girl happens to get lucky enough to be shoved over into a work camp while the, the gas ovens went day and night in another part of the camp. She's able to survive a couple of weeks. Towards the end of the war, Russian troops come in and liberate the camp and here's this little girl standing there. Everybody in her family's gone. She's just a teeny little thing. Everybody in her village is gone. She's just wearing rags. And she's got no one in the world to turn to. But somehow she finds the wherewithal to pick herself up, walk down through these decades, and stand before us today telling us this gripping tale. What are you going to say to her? Are you going to say to her, cheer up, lady, you know, turn that frown upside down. You know, just think happy thoughts, and the world will be your oyster. I don't think so. That is not... That is not painting a picture of the world that matches the way the world really is. She really suffered. In, Christian, in Christianity, we don't shy away from the idea of evil, pain, and suffering. We think it's real. But we have a very different calling, don't we? As followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are called to get down into the mire with people who are experiencing pain and suffering and bear them up the best we can in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it doesn't end there. We worship a Savior who himself suffered dramatically. And it doesn't end there. We worship a God who has promised one day to wipe away every tear and to correct every instance of injustice. Now that's a robust way to handle it. That's painting a picture of the world that matches the way the world really is. Uh, the fourth reason, the fourth and last reason that a thoughtful person on a religious quest would start that quest with Christianity is this. Well, let me set it up. Uh, so we're in the classroom, and I've gone a little over time, and the students are starting to pack up their stuff, and I say, hey, hang in there. I want to get one more point out. <laughs> there was a professor staring through a, a window in the door to the classroom, and he's, he's poking at his watch. He wanted to get in there. You know, I'm like, oh, the pressure is on. So I said, all right, one more thing, one more thing, very important. The fourth reason that a thoughtful person on a religious quest would obviously start that quest with Christianity is that Christianity has Jesus at the center. Oh, a uh, skateboard guy went nuts. Oh, I can't believe it. You are a fundamentalist after all. Right at the very end, when the pressure's on, you play the big Jesus card. Oh, we should have seen this coming, everyone. And I said, wait, you know, what? What in the world have you people been learning in this class? <laughs> he still got his head down, so I'm all right. What, what in the world have you people been learning in this class? Uh, don't you know that Jesus is the universal religious figure? I mean, everybody wants a piece of Jesus. Everybody wants to, to, to co-opt him and, and bring him into their system. You know, everybody wants it. Uh, in Buddhism, in Buddhism, Jesus emerges as... Uh, Many Buddhists believe that Jesus is a reincarnation of the Buddha himself. If they don't go that far, they think he is a great bodhisattva, a great Buddhist teacher who brings people up to the edge of enlightenment. Uh, in Hinduism, many Hindus believe that Jesus is an avatar of Vishnu, an incarnation of that particular Hindu deity. If they don't go that far, they believe that he was certainly uh, one of the greatest religious teachers of all time. Uh, Islam, for goodness sakes. In Islam, Jesus emerges as a figure greater than Muhammad himself. 
You, you clearly know that in Islamic tradition, Muhammad is a prophet, right? Well, Jesus is also a prophet in Islamic tradition. But add to that the fact that Islamic tradition says that Jesus was a legitimate miracle worker, was truly born of a virgin, and will stand with Allah at the scales of judgment at the end of time. I'm not sure of the exact score, but it's something like Muhammad 1, Jesus 4, you know? The point is not the score. The point is that everybody wants a piece of Jesus. So if you're a thoughtful person on a religious quest, it makes perfect sense to start that religious quest with the religion that has Jesus firmly planted at the center from the very beginning. I remember getting that out. And, and, and this, this other class was flooding into the room. Everybody was packing up their stuff. I just grabbed the stuff off the lectern and just walked, you know, right out a door. I kept walking until I found some picnic tables. And I just dumped my stuff took a deep breath and noticed I was being surrounded by students, you know, and this, this can get a little dicey on these secular campuses. And, and fortunately, they, they were throwing sharp questions at me rather than sharp objects. So it turned out to be okay. And we sat there and we talked, because I remember it was still morning, we drank coffee, then we ate sandwiches, then we ate afternoon snacks and just kept on going. They'd never heard anything like this, you know, that you could actually use your mind to sort through all the religious options and choose one, not just that's right for you, but that is true and gives you the true picture of all that ever was, is, or will be. Such is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our Heavenly Father, our great King, what a joy it is to serve you. What a joy it is to know you didn't leave us stranded in our own time without a tremendous witness, a, a trail of evidence back through history testifying to the great work you did on our behalf. Thank you, Father. We are so grateful. If anyone doesn't know you, Lord, I pray that they would, they would uh, be moved inside to, to seek you today and not let it go another day. In Jesus' name, amen.